Welcome back to the United Pubcast and a little bit of familiar territory. Manchester United are in the semi-finals for the Europa League. I feel like I should just rewind about 12 months and I feel like we could say the same thing from last season. But this time it's going to be different because there's a massive match for the semi-final and United, dare I say, might actually win it. With me as always, Tom Simpson. How are you, mate? Yes, very, very good. Um, refreshed from my little bit of a holiday and watched the match over... Um, a view of the Opera House, which is very nice. Very good. Ooh, very good, very good. Well, a view that was equally as good for United is the win this morning. Um, did you did you watch the match live? Did you get up nice and early for it? Yeah, yeah, no, I set the alarm for 4.55, told my wife I'm cutting the holiday short, and um, yeah, got up for it. And look, it's a weird one, because the second leg, you think, uh, the tie's over, there's not much to play for. It could be a very sort of rotated side and a bit boring, but I think that sort of that rotation in the side, whether it be forced or by Solskjaer, kind of added a little bit of excitement, added a bit of freshness to the game, which I think it needed because the tie was pretty much over. So it needed that bit of freshness, and I think we got it. Yeah, definitely. And while you might have cut your holiday short, United did cut Granada's Europa League campaign short with an emphatic 2-0 victory. Uh, Not the most entertaining game of football, I must be said, but no criticism of Manchester United there. I think it was a case of job done. Would you agree with that? Yeah, no, it was really good. I remember you go back to when we beat Sociedad. Okay, the first leg was 4-0. That was fantastic. Then the second leg was a little bit maybe too strong of personnel and the mm. game petered out to a nil-nil nil draw from memory. So this one, it had that almost little bit of excitement, maybe some disappointments in regards to the team selection. But as I said, a little bit of freshness, but also two goals and a win. So yeah, no, it was pretty good, I thought, all around. Agreed. And with this podcast, we will be mixing it up a little bit. Obviously, if you watch the match, given not, a, not too much in terms of events happened... It will be a free-flowing podcast, um, and we will cover a lot of Manchester United news. Because while the action on the game might have been limited, off the field, there's lots to talk about. Red seats will also be covered. But, Tom, let's talk about uh, United's victory, and not focusing too much on the game, but what this potentially means. Because we've got Roma up next in the semi-final, which, without a doubt, feels like a big game. And then what could be over the hill is a potential Europa League final with Arsenal, dare I say there'll be more eyes on that final, should that be what eventuates, than the Champions League? Oh, no, no doubt. And look, the Champions League final could potentially be huge. You just look at the teams and the storylines in that. But I just think in terms of facts and figures and the numbers, whether that be online, on Twitter, or just the TV viewing figures, a United v Arsenal European final would be bigger than the Champions League final. I have no doubts. And you could only imagine what the reaction will be online that day. It could either be the greatest day to be a United fan or the worst day and vice versa for an Arsenal fan. So, look, it is very exciting to look, look at, but you do have to also take a step back and realise we have a tricky semi-final against Roma and obviously Arsenal have a tricky one against their old manager in Unai Emery. So there is a chance, who knows, that we could be a Villarreal v Roma final. Fingers crossed it's not. But... um. While there is a lot of excitement around a potential final, I think both teams have a lot of work to do to get there. Yeah, definitely agree with you there. All right, Tom, let's talk about the game a little bit. Uh, Cavani with a, a brilliant finish. Cross comes in from sure, a bit of a deflection, but he gets it on the volley. Uh, let's let's go into the bit we really want to speak about. Uh, Paul Pogba gets a very questionable yellow card um, and Solskjaer hooks him at halftime. 
take me through the goal if you wish, because I thought it was a brilliant finish. Actually, can we talk about Edison Cavani? Something's changed in the last two games. I don't know if it's the way United are playing to complement uh, the. Can we? All right, this is another thing. Commentary. Jesus Christ. Edison oh, Cavani oh. is Uruguayan. Just for anyone who might have been confused by this morning's coverage, he is Uruguayan, not Argentinian. So want to get that out there. Okay. He mentioned it about 12 times, the commentator. And then also when Bruno came off for one matter, he said one matter's coming on for his fellow countryman in Bruno Fernandes. <laughs> hey, man, well, at least we can say the commentator's not racist. He's definitely seeing everyone equally, um, just not the way we'd really, you know, want to see it. But... All right, so let's talk about uh, United and the way we're playing with Cavani. How, do you, has there been something systemically that has changed for you, or is Cavani just hitting a purple patch coincidentally? Yeah, I don't. There's nothing I would put my finger on in regards to is there a formation change or a personnel change that you sort of mentioned there that something feels different about Cavani, and it kind of is a little bit hypocritical because all the sort of rumours off the pitch is that Cavani is starting to look at his future elsewhere, sort of away mm. from Old Trafford. But on the pitch, yeah, it is starting to click a little bit, and I'm not sure I want to put it down to a tactical thing or a personnel thing. I think it might just be that United are playing better, and when United are playing better, you're going to create more chances for your strikers, and when your striker's getting chances, he's going to score goals. And I think he's scoring goals, which makes him happy, which makes him play better. Yep, a beautiful cycle in that it is. Uh, Paul Pogba gets hooked at half time. All right, should we just rip into this? Perfect timing with the well, recording of, of this all, podcast. But first of all, with that yellow card, I still don't know. I've got 10 different answers. Is he now suspended for the semi-final, or is, is the yellow card going to be clear? He's not suspended. Uh, so Solskjaer okay. pretty much covered it in his post-match press conference. He's pulled him off, avoiding the risk of suspension. So, okay. no, nah, he's all good. Um, there's no carry-on in terms of yellow cards. Pogba will be there against Roma. God forbid any injuries. Uh, so let's let's rip in because firstly the other card was a joke, but I want to get past that. Referees are stupid after all. But uh, before we've recorded this podcast, Paul Pogba's decided to drop a bomb, one that we're not familiar with. No, he's not leaving Manchester United as yet, but he's gone all guns blazing on Jose Mourinho. Shall we read out the comments or? Please do. I love a I love a Mourinho saga. All right. So just going to quote you some pieces here from Paul Pogba. Once I had a great relationship with Mourinho. The next day, I didn't know what happened. That's one snippet. He then goes on further, saying that what I have now with Oli is different. He wouldn't go against the players. He wouldn't, and then he continues to go on to say, maybe Oli wouldn't pick them, but it's not like he puts them on the side like they don't exist anymore. That's the difference between Mourinho and Oli. Once I had a great relationship with Mourinho, everyone saw that. And the next day, you don't know what happened. The strange thing I had with Mourinho, and I cannot explain to you because I uh, even I don't know. So, yeah. Pogba goes very hard, and then he also goes on and talks about the relationship with Shaw as well. Um, and then he does cover that uh, every coach has their own way to coach and deal with players, and as a player, you have to adapt. Sometimes it doesn't suit you, and sometimes it does. He talks about Luke Shaw. Ole has helped Luke a lot. It was difficult season for Luca Mourinho, and he has proven the quality uh, that which he's always had and the trust of the manager. Scathing, scathing of the Portuguese. What, what are your thoughts? Yeah, well, it's one of those where it's kind of... It's very weird to hear from a player, like, go in on a manager like that because you fully expected a real professional environment. Now, under Mourinho, that last six months, it didn't really become a professional environment. 
it was clear that there was a clear disruption there. Mm. But we kind of knew about this, but you, just don't, you don't expect someone to talk about it publicly. We knew Pogba didn't like Mourinho, Mourinho didn't like Pogba at the end of their time at the club together. But hearing them actually, phys- hearing Pogba physically say it, you think, oh, you sort of take a step back and you think, oh, geez, we're right. We're exactly right in the way we were thinking about sort of their last couple of months at the club. Mm. And look, I think the way Mourinho has behaved, sort of, sort of Pogba did come out and defend Solskjaer in regards to Mourinho's comments regarding the feeding of the sun and everything. And I think rightly so, it's fair game. If Mourinho comes out and says something, um, I think our manager and our players have a right to defend themselves. And look, we can have whatever opinion we want of Paul Pogba. But, um, and look, he's obviously been prompted by the journalist or whoever asked the question. But I think fair play to him and good on him. Yeah, I'm with you, mate. It's just, it's just seems a little bit off, doesn't it? It, just, it seems a bit premeditated. I just wonder what the motivation behind the comments were. Um, and he also mentioned, I, I didn't cover it in that initial in that initial blurb, but he also spoke about Mourinho's, you know, little spat with Oli after the Tottenham game. And this is what Pogba had to say. We won the game, he lost the game, and he doesn't want to speak about the game. He wants to speak about the dad of someone. That's what he does. Everybody knows him. It's very Mourinho. Pogba with a two-footed lunge. And I have to say... It, it's entertaining. I, I, I'm so sick of vanilla footballers and their vanilla comments in the media. This is a player who's come out and we might say, look, whatever you think of Paul Pogba, super marketable and a very popular player worldwide. It's refreshing to see a player sort of come out and speak this way so candidly. Well, yeah, 100%. And the reason being another point, which um, a lot of people might have missed, but you say that in terms of players being sort of they're, they're robots and they don't really sort of speak their mind. They're sort of very scripted. But the other day, Phil Foden, obviously Manchester City went through to the semifinals and he put a, well, supposedly put a tweet out sort of challenging Mbappe saying, are you ready for the semifinal? And um, it wasn't Foden. Foden wasn't happy with it. It was his uh, social media company. He hires put the tweet out and he wasn't happy with that. And this comes off the back of Gary Neville calling for players to take control of their own social media accounts because... All the, all the tweets after a game, you can tell which ones are scripted and which ones aren't. You can tell the ones, oh, after a loss, oh, sorry, we tried hard today, we've got to get back to work, um, head up, keep going sort of thing. A very scripted response where Gary Neville has called for these all the players to take charge of their social media accounts and speak for them heart. And Phil Foden has sort of sacked his social media people now and just to revert that back to the Paul Pogba situation now so many answers up, maybe not with Paul Pogba so much, but so often the footballer response in an interview or a social media interaction is very scripted and often mm. not them speaking. But now you hear Paul Pogba speak from the heart and truthfully, and yes, it's refreshing. Now, it's refreshing because it's something we agree with. Now, he often does speak his mind and it's about the future away from the club, which we don't like. But I think when a player is honest... Um, it is refreshing, and as I say, I don't want to bag Mourinho too much because I did have respect for him when he was here, but I've lost a little bit of that respect over the past week and the way he's behaved. Yeah, I do agree with you, but you know what, Tommy? It's not the comments Paul Pogba makes. It's it's the comment of his agent, but it's these moments where when Pogba does come out, he actually puts himself in a good light, and it just makes you wonder, why doesn't he do that more often? Instead of hearing his big, fat agent opening his big, fat mouth, Paul Come on and speak out more often, mate. You know, if you want to leave United, if you want to stay at United, whatever it is, come out, do it in a respectful way, and then I'm sure the fan base will be behind you. But, Tom, I've got to say, his form, particularly the last, you know, today, take it out, but 
his performance against Tottenham, I just don't see how whatever money United throw at Pogba, right? Like, let's say you have to pay him half a million a week to, for him to stay. It'll almost cost that much to replace him. So, uh, for me, I just think you do whatever you can to to keep the Frenchman. But let's move on. Um, can we talk about Solskjaer's comments and red seats? Because it's I find it all very intriguing. Um, particularly for our good mate Duncan Castles. It seems to be a stick to beat uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer with. But when asked about the form at home uh, by Andy Midden, who has been on this podcast, a good friend, um, we've seen Ole say we've addressed it. And then he goes on this tangent about how the red seats appear to be a distraction in the split seconds when you see a red shirt. And he believes that might be why United are probably a little bit more sloppy with the ball. What were your thoughts on the comments? And do you agree with them? Did you find them strange? Please, enlighten me. Well, I don't think it's about agreeing with them or finding them strange. I just think you take a step back and it is simply out of the Ferguson playbook. And I think it's a case of when he's asked that question, why do you think the home form is sort of so questionable? I think it's along the lines of his, the correct answer would be, well, our players aren't good enough consistently to be good, um, whether that's just been a coincidence that those defeats have come at home. But I think overall the answer is, well, we're not good enough overall. Now, obviously, we're in a good patch of form now, but you have to be good over 38 games. Mm. And I think we've all agreed over the 38 games we haven't been good enough in terms of the, where we aspire to be. And that is the correct answer. But as we just had the discussion with regarding Solskjaer and Mourinho, Solskjaer is not the manager to come out and throw his players under the bus. So instead of saying, my players aren't good enough, he's come out and given a Ferguson-like excuse with the grey shirts against Southampton. He's come out and blamed it on the seeds. So now everyone, like journalists, like Duncan Castles, who have such an influential voice, are going off about this absolute nonsense topic about the colour of seats instead of talking and piling pressure on the players who, let's be honest, maybe aren't good enough. So I think it's, again, a tick in Solskjaer's book. I think it's good management. I think it's a clear play out of the Sir Alex Ferguson book to deflect away from putting pressure on the players. Yeah, very good tactic by Solskjaer. And you have to say, I think he's grown into the job. I, I don't think when he took over, he was clearly the perfect manager. I don't think he's the perfect manager now. But there seems to be this natural growth into the role. Um and I feel like the longer his tenure goes on, you actually feel like United, dare I say it, Tom, I actually feel confident that we might actually be in for a title challenge sooner rather than later. You have to admit, like, this is the closest it's felt at any point since Sir Alex has left. Well, there's definite progress. As you say, it feels like there's progress. Now, what we do with that progress, if we continue to build on that in the summer transfer market, or if the club sits still and lets other um, teams either step further ahead or catch up to us, um, time will tell. But at mm. the moment, in good form, and as you say, with Solskjaer, look, at the end of the day, he is learning on the job, but he is learning well, and there is definite progress. And if there is progression, well, by the simple direction of that is we're going to be closer to a title. We're not going to get further away if we're progressing. Absolutely. And a player who has improved under Solskjaer, one of many, has been Aaron Wan-Bissaka. Can we just... I don't care about international football, but he was really good today again. And there's this been this constant debate around, you know, if you're an England manager, would you pick Trent Alexander-Arnold? Would you pick Aaron Wan-Bissaka? And then you made a good point before we sort of came online. If England's versus France and you've got Kylian Mbappe running down the wing or you've got Anthony Martial on that wing or you've got Antoine Griezmann on the wing, 
Do you want Aaron Wan-Bissaka there defending or do you want Trent Alexander-Arnold? So what do you think? Because Wan-Bissaka is in this unique position and almost at a crossroads in terms of his international career where I believe, which nation is he originally, his heritage, he's got the option to switch, doesn't he? Because he hasn't made a senior cause yet. I'm sure he has played for England. I think it's the Congo. I think it's the same with Axel Tuanzebi, potentially. But um, I'm sure he has played for England. I'm positive of it. Nonetheless, um, would you pick Wan-Bissaka? I'm, I'm sure you're going to say yes, but can oh, you make look, your case for why? I, I, th- I think that just the defensive reason. There's no doubt um, Rhys James, Kieran Trippier, Trent Alexander-Arnold are all better on the ball. That's 100% right. However, within a squad, if you're right back, if he sees another right back as his first choice, fair enough, he's the manager, he can play how he wants to play. But if that right back gets injured, you're going to need another right back. And I just think... A squad needs depth and a squad needs options. And he's the best defensive fullback. I don't know if this is a big shout or I'm just happy with his good form. But I don't think I've ever seen a better defensive fullback in terms of, look, we can question position at times. But just in terms of tackling and one-on-one defending. Yeah. Today a player, a Granada player had the ball and he's running. And I was just like, where's he going? What's, does he think he's going to beat Wan-Bissaka? And Wan-Bissaka almost just jogged alongside him for 10, 20 metres. Just said, OK, I'll tackle now. And it was a slight tackle near the sideline where he went in so intensely, but with such control to make sure he kept the ball out. He didn't tackle the ball into the sideline for throwing. He went in, ball and all, got everything, got up, got the ball and started dribbling forward. Mm. And look, I don't think I've ever seen a defender tackle like him. He's unbelievable. And um, look, I think he's well within um, a shout to be in that England team, whether he's first choice or not. That'll come down to the way the manager wants to play. But as you say, that point... In regards to if he does in a semi final, you come up against Kylian Mbappe. France are going to dominate England, you'd think. Who do you want defending Mbappe? Do you want Wan Bissaka or Trent? And I think the correct answer, or not even think, I know the correct answer, is Aaron Wan Bissaka. So I think the England squad will be much better um, with Wan Bissaka in it. No arguments from me, mate. I, I totally agree with you about Wan Bissaka. I don't think it's outrageous to say, in, in my opinion, he, defensively, the best fullback I've seen. It's not even close either. His one-on-one tackling technique is phenomenal. And you only have to look at the Manchester derbies. It's almost been a running joke amongst United fans that, you know, Raheem Sterling's almost going to want to be ill on the match every time there's a there's a derby on. But he's quiet because it's not because Sterling's a bad footballer. It's because Wambasaka just knows how to keep good players quiet. He's... Timing and the way he goes to ground is not something you often see. In fact, modern coaches tell encourage players not to go to ground. They keep they tell them jockey, stay on your feet. If you get beaten, it's easier to recover rather than when you're on the ground, you're dusted. Well, so, the way you see him defend like that, if you put a sort of YouTube compilation of him, if you saw three minutes of him tackling, mm. you'd think if if he was an opposition player and we'll scouting him, you'd think, oh god, that play he'll give away a lot of penalties. I don't think Wan-Bissaka has given away a penalty for us. Like he's he's got a I think that was one time and not fouling anyone. I think there was like one, maybe one last season. Oh yeah, I'm sure it. Yeah, it might be one or two. But yeah, I'm with you, mate. He's he is phenomenal. I wouldn't trade him for anyone. But if we could do a trade, I'll happily take him at the Central Coast Mariners if this deal goes through. Let's talk about this, Tom. So earlier this week, news has broken that Manchester United might actually come to our shores. And I think no one is better placed to speak about this than you and I, because we know the areas that have been proposed that United would potentially place the Central Coast Mariners. So if you haven't heard the news, 
Reports came out earlier this week, United are looking to buy the Central Coast Mariners, who are a team currently in the Australian A-League, um, and looking to move them potentially to the Northern Beaches or to North Sydney Oval and to potentially uh, rebrand the club as well. Um, it is the club where there are some links, if you like. Uh, we Mike Phelan was in a football director's capacity for the Central Coast Mariners before joining the coaching staff at Manchester United with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Tom, firstly... Do you think there's anything to this? Secondly, anywhere but the Northern Beaches, surely? Well, if I think there's anything in it, I think, well, yes. However, I'm sure there are a lot of clubs looking at the Mariners and the Mariners looking at a lot of potential options. However, I think if a club from, I don't know, the UAE or, I don't know, if Chelsea or Everton or Aston Villa, if they were interested, would anyone click on an article? Probably not. If you leak the news that Man United are interested... It creates global headlines. So, look, I'm sure there is something in it, but I'm sure there's something in it for a lot of clubs. Can I be so, honest with you, mate? I, I think it would be a masterstroke by United. Just think of the amount of, you know, here in Australia, we always talk about how do you get more eyes on the A-League? Um, and you and I, you know, we don't watch every single here um, A-League game. If you had a club that you could link to Manchester United, tell me you wouldn't get behind that football team. Oh, no, look, I'm all for it. I think the only issue, or not issue, a hesitation or a concern with the takeover to try and do the right thing by Central Coast Mariners, because, look, we've seen the City Football Group and Manchester City come in and do great things for Australian football, and especially with Melbourne City. United are probably trying to go down that path as well. I'm not sure if they're going to create a United Football Group or whatever, but it is a very good opportunity for both Australian football, but also Manchester United. I just think... You have to do the right thing by the club. And I think the wrong thing would be to move the Central Coast Mariners. Now, for those overseas listeners, Central Coast is not far from Sydney. It's about an hour north of Sydney, a little bit over an hour. So relocating them wouldn't be too far. But Central Coast is its own little unique community. And while the club is in desperate need of almost a rebranding, which has been mentioned, I think it would be wrong to move them from the Central Coast. I could understand Man United's desire to be linked with a Sydney-based team if you want to move them to North Sydney. I could understand that appeal. But Central Coast is so close to Sydney. It's only an hour's north. And I think... But Tom, let's be honest, mate. Are you being too sentimental here? Because if if you're like, you know, for those not in Australia... Oh, no, no. Look, it wouldn't bother me personally, but it would bother Central Coast. They they barely get 2,000 fans there to each match day. But I don't think you're going to get 2,000 people to North Sydney. Like, there's no... Especially Northern Beaches. There's... No, I, I'm with you, and I hate the Northern Beaches. Don't don't go there. But I think if you went to, say, a North Sydney Oval, I think the potential for a massive fan base to get behind that team, the potential's there. And if you brand them in that red, white, black socks, I, I reckon look, people I, get behind I, I, them. I agree with that, but also from an A-League a point of view, I don't think the A-League can cope with two Sydney teams. We'll now have three Sydney teams. I think if you're a fourth Sydney team in there, I don't think that A-League... As I said, I don't, I don't think the A-League can cope with two let alone four teams um, in Sydney. So, And I think the Central Coast, while it hasn't quite worked, look, they're having a successful season this year. Um, and if they're successful, those fan, the crowd will naturally sort of increase. And I just think if they got it right, if Man United came in and got it right on the Central Coast, I think the sort of po- the, it's endless, the opportunities they have there. It'd be the most fo- popular football team, second most popular football team in the world outside of Manchester United, if you ask me. Clearly, I'm exaggerating, but, you know, let's run with it. All right, Tom, let's talk about United's run-in. Um, I was talking to you earlier, and I was saying, you know, even the Tottenham game, 
While a big match, it, it probably stems from it being against Jose Mourinho, but the game itself didn't really excite me, despite how good it felt beating them. But again, I think that's because of Jose Mourinho factor. But let's talk about the matches coming up because this is the meaty part of the season. You've got Burnley on the weekend, then it's Leeds. Then you've got a hell of a sandwich. You've got Roma, Liverpool, Roma. How damn exciting is this? I think this will be phenomenal. And we will get to the 3-2-1s for anyone concerned. So we will get there. I think we'll finish on that. But before we get there, Tom, just talk to me about this run-in. Are you concerned? Do you think United need to prioritise in terms of how they go? Is it league? Is it is it Europa League? Or are we at that meaty stage now where it's you just go full throttle for both? Yeah, look, it might just be an all-out race because while I would say prioritise the Europa League because I think Roma, that's going to be a tough game. You just look, you put yourselves in a potential scenario where let's say Manchester City drop points this weekend. I'm not sure who they have. But let's say they drop points, whether it be a draw or a loss. Suddenly, that eight-point gap, and suddenly we're going to creep up on that eight-point gap, maybe make it six or five points. And suddenly you're looking at, geez, look, the pressure's on City here. We might as well go for the league. Now, of course, that's, that is an extremely long shot. But I don't think we're in a position to just throw away the league just yet. Because if City drop a point in the next two or three games, as I say, that gap could go down to five points if we win all our games. So, And then the pressure is really on. But... The yes, the focus does need to be on the Europa League for me because not only for the final, I just think that sort of hoodoo Solskjaer has with the semi-final, I think that is so important. And um, as you say, the excitement of we're going to have Roma, Liverpool, Leeds, Roma again. Um, I remember this time last week, was it almost had a feeling like the season was just sort of petering out a little bit. We're saying, OK, top four is secure. Um, unfortunately, City have run away with the league and it was a little bit, a little bit of a flat feeling. But now you book into European semi-finals. You're booking a trip away to Leeds, a game at home to Liverpool, which we'll probably go into favourites now. Suddenly there's a big sense of excitement to finish the season on. Yeah, 100%. Um, but I'm with you. I think this semi-final is big for Solskjaer. The, you, you know how it is. You can f- picture the articles now. Solskjaer can't get past the semi. They'll call him a choker, not fit for the United job, etc. So I think... This is massive in terms of his own reputation. And I think for this football group, for this for this group of players, they need to get over that mental hurdle. So, you know, because you start feeding in and you start believing, the, you know, the, the nonsense that gets fed. So I'm praying that we can get past Roma. I think that's crucial for Oli and this team. But all right, Tom, this is the part that everyone loves. Three, two, ones. Let's talk about it. Who was your man of the match today? Weird one, because um, it was good before. And I, look, it's a little bit flat, especially the second half. But I thought the first half, United were very good, and um, it was a weird one. I thought the performances all round were almost this all, all seven out of ten, no real standout performance, and I don't think anyone sort of performed too badly. Um, maybe Cavani. I just think, as you say, there was just a, there's a feel good factor about Cavani. He, he got the goal, and there was just something whether it was that focal point of an old fashioned centre forward. Mm. Um, I just thought it sort of almost dictated the way we played so um, off the top of my head uh, without the game being a classic um, Cavani would probably be my shout for three points yeah I'm with you mate no debates there can I ask you this might sound a bit far-fetched for some but do you find yourself loving Cavani more albeit his output not being as good than Zlatan for me I'm just there's something about Cavani you're just I'm just Uh, falling in love with the guy I think it's a Man United thing. I think Man United fans have always been... They've always sort of gravitated towards 
an old-fashioned goal scorer, someone who just wants to score goals, someone who's mm. rough, dirty, will cheat to win, which we discussed last week against Tottenham, the way he sort of stuck it on a few of their defenders. I think United fans gravitate towards that. There's some of so many strikers in, in the past have sort of been of that ilk. And I think when that player is in good form and you see them happy, you see them scoring goals, you see them fired up, um, it's a good feeling. So I think that is why we're sort of all in love with Cavani at the moment. And look, look, we're going to have plenty of discussions about him and his future in the coming weeks. But when he performs like that and scores like that, um, it does put a good case forward for him to stay next season, even if the rumours are that he's looking to go back to um, Argentina. or well, not back to Argentina. I've caught the commentator's curse. But um, off to Boca Juniors. <laughs> oh, Tom, I-, I love that. But yeah, I'm with you. I, I personally hope he stays. Fingers crossed. Uh, two points. Weird one. Um, I'm not quite sure. I th- look, I thought. I think Alex maybe, Tellez. Yeah, I thought Tellez was good. Maybe yeah, someone across the back four because I thought Tellez was good. I've just sort of praised Juan Bissaka. I thought defense maybe forward. He's obviously has his limitations, but I thought defensively he was a pleasure to watch. But also someone who we haven't mentioned, and maybe not points wise in regards to his performance. But definitely worth a note because he hasn't played for God knows six, seven months. I thought Axel Tuanzebi came in, and while Harry Maguire walks back into the side for me, obviously I'm a big fan of Harry Maguire. When he did get his suspension, um, his yellow card last week, we were thinking, oh, geez, again with Harry Maguire, it'll be interesting to see how the back four copes with that. Mm. But we didn't miss Maguire with Tuanzebi in there. He performed very well. He did. Um, I actually thought you were about to say Van der Beek. I actually thought. That was the most positive performance from Van der Beek since he's joined yeah, United. He did well. He did do well, but I don't think we're gonna. Oh, you know, oh, shout for one point maybe. You you've swayed me onto Anzabi. I don't know. I'm kind of split. He played half a game, didn't have too much to do, but I thought he had some classy touches. I, maybe one oh, yeah, uh, is probably the right call. would be just a, a worth of note because he hasn't played for so long. His actual performance might not have sort of warranted the points. But because he has been out for so long, I just think he's definitely worth in the discussion. But as you say, Van der Beek performed quite well in the second half. He was direct. He was involved, which sometimes I'll criticise his lack of involvement. Not lack of involvement in team selection. That's nothing to do with him. Mm. But lack of involvement in getting on the ball and involved in the play. So I yeah. did like that from him. But as you say, Tellez, a perfect deputy for Luke Shaw. Came in, did a job, got an assist. Um, did he get the assist? Well, I'm thinking actually for the second goal, the own goal. Was that Alex Tellis's cross? Uh, I don't know. I, I'm honest. still... I've just made that up. Yeah. Well, good on you. Yeah, might as well. Um, but I think... Let's go the fullbacks. I think that's the right thing to do. I think we go Cavani, three points. One Basaka, two. Alex Tellez, one. You with no, me I'm on that? Yeah, that. Actually, All I right. thought also De Gea is, again, maybe not warranted points, but he had a bit to do today. Yeah, he did. Um... Nothing that really makes you say yeah. Henderson should be displaced, though. Yeah. And I think that's a good place to leave the podcast. I enjoyed this one. It's free-flowing. Have a yak. Yeah, no, good before the, as you say, the, all the intensity builds up. And could you imagine what social media will be like if we do have a final against Arsenal in the Europa League? Oh, sign um, me up, mate. I'm going to have to take that week off work. Yeah, I think... Um, I think when Monday rolls around, I'll definitely be putting a request into the boss to take the Europa League final off. Um, hopefully that's not a curse, but you know what, you know what I mean? All right, I think we'll leave it there. Um, thank you, for as always, uh, for listening, the support we have. We love it. We love all of you. 
Give us five. Give us a five star review if you are on uh, iPhone, iTunes. If you're on Spotify, just say subscribed. You know we love it when you interact with us. We're loving the interaction. Period. I think we've been getting a lot of messages. The Instagram hasn't stopped. I've tried to ignore the conversations you're having with everyone, Tom. Uh, but pleasure as always. Um, and I'll be chatting to you after Burnley. Hopefully, another three points in the bag, and we can lock down second place. No, it would be very, very good. All right, cheers. Thank you.